We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's going to be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sundance Sites TV podcast. This is Kate Kalzik and I'm joined as ever by Mr. By Simon Howell. Me, Simon. <laughs> How's it going? It is, it is going, I'm going to go pretty well, uh, I, as anybody who follows me on Twitter knows, I've been struggling with my holiday baking, and uh, chocolate is being a pain in the butt, but I think I've got it now, so I think it's looking up. If there ever was a situation of first world problems, it's my struggles to temper chocolate. <laughs> yeah, right? It's like my my Thanksgiving baking isn't isn't going quite as smoothly as I'd hoped. But you know you can also do multiple batches, so it's like, yeah, that's that's pretty much as first world as it gets. Yeah, how about you? Um, I, I've had a very negligible week. There's very little to discuss. <laughs> One of these days, you're gonna have had a wonderful, positive, happy week, as opposed to this week was terrible or yeah. Uh, maybe I'll I'll let you know when it happens. <laughs> Okay, we, well, we got some comments at the website. Uh, we heard from T-Mac. Now, T-Mac, I'm curious what you think about this. He said specifically that he's still around. Do you think that T-Mac is Jerry? Jerry. Jerry, the, the person who commented or, or gave us a review on iTunes. And we said, Jerry, why haven't we heard from you? And then we got a thing from T-Mac saying that he's still around. Oh, maybe. I don't maybe know. the plot thickens. Perhaps. You can never tell with the, with the tangled webs of the internet. <laughs> If that's the case, uh, T-Mac, let us know. Or if we're, you know, completely off base and making connections where there are none, uh, then I can apologize for calling you Jerry if that's not your name. Uh, anyway, so T-Mac is liking Boss for Grammer's performance. Kelsey Grammer, of course, is in that as the mayor of Chicago. What I thought was rather entertaining was his assertion that the he finds the competence of the politicians a bit fantastical for Chicago, which, you know, is entertaining to me. Now, we've dropped off with the show we you know had we liked Kelsey Grammer I would say but didn't like enough of the other elements that we that we uh backed away from the show is this one of those that you think you'll come back to if you keep hearing good things about it next season I don't know I mean it doesn't seem like that like I, I don't hear people saying oh it's drastically improved I think people who liked it at first are still liking it and you, pretty much for the same reason which is that yes Kelsey Grammer is really good I think it's just the rest of the show that's a problem. I think if you can get behind grammar, that's great. Um, but just the 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 ridiculosity of the rest <laughs> of it is just a little too intense for me. Fair enough. Um, we also heard from Keith, who uh, took me to task a bit for my opinion on Supernatural last week, which I thought was a lot of fun because I was saying I don't think they're going to kill off one of the characters. Um because I don't think the show works when it's just the brothers. Keith absolutely disagrees. Those are his favorite episodes when it's just the two of them. 
Um, so that was fun to talk about with him. And apparently Leviathans are giant dragons in the Bible. He was thinking perhaps, uh, now of course the Leviathans are the, uh, the villains this, this season on Supernatural. How sweet would it be to have giant dragons showing up in the last episode? They could slay some dragons. Uh, I mean, I don't watch Supernatural, but I guess that would be kind of awesome. The, uh, the last dragon I can remember on TV being particularly memorable or that I didn't miss at least was on Angel. There's a memorable dragon in one of the episodes. So, uh, I, I, I think it'd be great. I like dragons. So what does Game of Thrones not count? Oh, well, yes, there is that. Duh. (laughs) Okay. Yes. Game of, (laughs) (laughs) that was just those dragons. Those, yeah, highly in. Those season ending climactic dragons. (laughs) Spoiler alert for anyone oh well, too late a little late now too late that's okay it's it'll be fine the new season's starting up you know relatively soon here um then we heard i heard from mario on twitter who is helping me with my tempering chocolate thing so thank you very much mario i was uh definitely having problems so i appreciated the encouragement talked some walking dead with gary and then ken bruce and blaine were all uh sharing my pain with me in some of their cases i know blaine's a packer fan so i he probably wasn't sharing our pain at the 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 bears game that we experienced this past week and it they even as well since they end with the onside kick which i i know you're not a football guy but uh whenever a team tries to do an onside kick it just doesn't work it never works and uh and so of course the, that's how the game ended. They tried the onside kick, it didn't work. It almost worked. So they got you hopeful just to, to you know to to fail at the in the last few minutes and ended with an error. Not even not even an you know, an interesting uh, or they not they didn't get a chance to really try for it. They just went out with a whimper and um anyways, it was nice to have Ken and Bruce and Blaine there to, you know, live the experience with me at the same time. Um, but that was it for comments this week. We were a bit light. Sports. Um, you mentioned this was a light week for comments. It's also a light week. I mean, this week, rather, is, is a light week for TV. Uh, this is easily the skimpiest Televerse we've had to record. So <laughs> yes. we're going we're, we're gonna to contrive to make it interesting. But uh, I have to say, it was not, the, it was not exactly a firecracker. Yeah, well, we're heading into the hiatuses. A lot of the shows are going to be off, at least until we get into January, where we have some some new seasons starting up with Justified and Archer and some of these other shows that are coming back that hopefully I will get a chance to catch up with um, so that we can talk about. But for now, at least, it is a bit of a light week, particularly with the holiday, uh, at least in America. Um, So let's go ahead and uh, get into our week. Now, on Tuesday, you watched Sons of Anarchy. How did that go? I did. Um, Sons of Anarchy has a troubled history with finales and climactic stuff in general. And uh, this week was the penultimate episode of the fourth season. Um, Fans may remember, and they may not agree, but it is true, nevertheless, that the second season was great, except for the finale, which was just full of ridiculous contrivances and coincidences that ended up being crucial to the third season and actually sort of crippling it. Um, the third season finale was 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 good, but the, unfortunately, the rest of the season not so much. This week, they really went. They seem to be going all in for this for this uh, season finale, almost to the degree that it, they're almost setting up a series finale, even though it's been renewed because you know it's the most popular show in as 
as far as I know, in, in FX history. Certainly, it's the, their most popular right now. So they're sort of, I mean, what's frustrating is it feels like they could set up a very satisfying series finale right now, but you know that they can't. Yeah. So the episode that airs tomorrow is a two-hour smorgasbord of, of what will turn out to be uh, just insanity, I'm sure. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping it's going to be satisfying. On the plus side, this week, I think some of the players who have been slightly cast aside for parts of the season, especially Ryan Hurst, who plays Opie, uh, he got to shine majorly this week. I thought he was fantastic. And even Kurt Sutter, who plays Otto, I mean, ha- had some, some pretty, he gave himself some pretty big moments this week, and, and he was good too, even if some of the writing was a little bit on the nose. I, I don't have too much to say about the episode right now, except that I do feel like they are sort of destined to puss out on the cliffhanger they gave us this week uh, to one degree or another. So I, I'm, I'll wait to I'll, I'll wait to fully pass judgment, but I have bad but hopeful feelings. Does that work <laughs> about uh, about the episode this week? So I'm, I'm hoping they pull it together in, uh, in the final stretch as they have sometimes not done. Well, fingers crossed for you. I know that we're going to have a post-season sort of wrap-up thing going at the site for yeah. Sons of Anarchy. So hopefully in a, yeah, it's two weeks, right? It's a two-part finale? Yeah, it's going to be, like, ridiculously long. Um, <laughs> so uh, Suburgatory did Thanksgiving this week. and Yes. It was it was momentous. It was a... We were talking earlier, and and your your column this week is, I believe, about how Thanksgiving episodes are generally not very good. And yet, this was maybe the best suburgatory yet. I don't know if I would go that far, um, just because I wasn't as enamored of the Tessa plotline, Tessa and George, but I did love everything we got this week with Allie Grant and her yes. family. It was so great to see Chris Parnell, and it's such a, like, a perfect little role for him, so... Yeah, I I did overall very much like the episode, though I will say, seeing Tessa with straight hair, I mean, she does not even a little bit look like a teenager or a high school student, uh, So, and having the, the straight hair only exacerbates that, so um, yeah, I, I don't know. What did you think? Well, I mean, I've been complaining for weeks that we haven't been having enough Allie Grant, so this this episode was, was fantastic for me. Um, she really, she sold it. It was, you know, a, a big funny comic performance and she's uh you know she gives this this big brassy ridiculous performance and that's sort of and that's what the the episode demands uh i mean i i agree that the, the tessa stuff wasn't perfect i i will say that i was nicely surprised by the george having a girlfriend in the city reveal just because they've really shied away from any sort of romantic entanglements on the show of any kind i mean they've hinted at stuff here and there but I thought it was nice that they held off so long and, you know, when they do something, it's nice and subtle and surprising. And I mean, we don't really even know if that's going to play out in an important way in the future, but I, I, I like the way that they're handling little reveals like that. And it's worth noting this episode was written by series creator, Emily Kapnick. So there's a reason they had their shit together this week. What did you think of Jay Moore this week? Uh, I'm not really sure what to make of Jay Moore's character. I mean, he's only been in two episodes um, and I'm not really sure what the future is like for that character. I mean, he's fine. I, I, I'm not sure he's getting enough to, to really, to really make much of an impression. I thought he, uh, I mean, I, yes, I, I would agree with that, but I did like his scenes, particularly with Dahlia. And I like that they're not making, uh, Cheryl Hines, her character, uh, Dallas simple. 
and making her situation simple. And that's another example of them handling the relationships on the show very well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it's it's not just that, you know, he's away or that he's distant or a, or a buffoon or or that she's mm -hmm. bored or in love with George or whatever. It's not. Yeah, it's it's sort of in between all of those things. And and they're I, I'm, I'm hoping as they solidify what exactly is going on, that they don't make anything too simple. Yeah. Um, uh, a simpler episode, though, I would say was Modern Family. What did you think of their Halloween or Thanksgiving? That is episode. Uh, it was it was fine. I mean, I think it was hampered slightly by the fact that you know the it was leading up to this incredibly obvious climax, wherein I mean, incredibly obvious to me anyway, wherein you know that the you know that pumpkins going into that car is just yeah. a matter of when and whether it's going to get them off the hook. Other than that, I thought it was. I mean, I, I I thought I should check in with Modern Family this week since there was so little else on, and to me, it continues to be a, a, a source of you know. Mild amusement, but not utter enthrallment. Yeah, I I liked what we got with Pumpkin Chunkin. Of course, that's always a lot of fun. I still haven't watched Pumpkin Chunkin. I should watch that one of these years. Um, but I, I liked the uh, the things, some of the littler moments. I enjoyed them all in the football field. I think that worked. And mm -hmm. I liked I liked the the dig at the Manny's dig at the rice pilaf. I, I thought that was. Uh, mm -hmm. It was pretty funny, and hopefully we'll get to see some more little things like that for Manny. We haven't gotten very much of him this season, and I think that's wise to not burn him out the way that they have, for example, Cam. Um, but it was nice to see him back and just kind of show it how much he hasn't really been around this season. Yeah, that that was that was nice. I mean, I, I think my the reason I don't watch the show on the regular is just because it's so overly genial sometimes, and I and I and and also. The way, like, th the episode ends with this very, like, oh, we need the skeptics and we need the, the dreamers, yeah. and it, they really spell it out for you, and they, they, they lay it on a little bit thick. And, you know, I, I, I get that that's also why people enjoy it, because it's, like, comfort food, but it's a little too much comfort for me. Um, speaking of a little too much comfort, uh, happy endings. <laughs> and Rob Briggle's incredibly abrasive character. What did you think of this week's episode? Um, again fine you know uh, uh, amusing and not mind-blowing and, uh, and also sort of un unlike i mean the there wasn't as much mugging this week which i was very happy about uh, i i did feel like there were gags i'd seen before especially the the capper with the ashes was yeah something yeah I've, I've seen a half dozen times before i mean the big I, lebowski moment yeah definitely i mean I, I did like that the the rob regal character had this weirdly uh, weirdly deep arc where he was, you know, this this annoying character who dies and they have to deal with. I mean, it was a lot to do in 21 minutes, and I I thought they they did it fairly well, especially considering there was other stuff going on. the The other plots I I didn't find quite as amusing, generally speaking. Yeah, yeah. Penny got old for me very very quickly. The thing with her wanting to to get the kids to like her, um, mm -hmm. it, it, that's a one scene kind of gag. That's not. At least the way they executed it, it didn't work over the course of the episode. I enjoyed Max spending the time with the kids, but he very quickly contradicted his delightful early episode appraisal that he didn't like kids, and this doesn't wasn't just some time thing that could be cured by, you know, getting into misadventures with, with adorable children. Except that then he got into misadventures with adorable children and 
by the end, he did not seem anywhere near as antagonistic towards them. Well, it, it worked, though, because his misadventures were mostly revolved around them doing things for him. So, like, I, I, I like that, that their, their time together basically consisted of, hey, go in the kitchen, make food, which at first is fun because they're not used to it. But and no, mm -hmm. I, I, that was more amusing to me than the Penny stuff, for sure. Yeah. Um, Rob Riggle again was, I thought was fun. I, I enjoy seeing him. I enjoyed him on the daily show. So it was nice to see him pop up. Um, but yeah, I do agree. It just too many jokes. Didn't, uh, there wasn't enough there. I don't think to stretch for the, the whole episode. And mm -hmm. it felt very sitcom. -y, but yes, but guys, thank you for toning down the mugging. That makes me very happy. Uh, yes. speaking of, speaking of mugging, uh, let's oh, go, gosh. let's, let's, <laughs> let's go to the reality realm. Uh, Top Chef, you know, I, I have to clarify something right off the bat because I, I said something last week that turned out to be wrong. I hate Beverly. Beverly yeah. is useless. I hate that. Oh, okay. Because There's no crying and cooking. Uh, it was the she perfect was toying, thing. She was toying with my emotions because last week, you know, she, she cried once and it was, mm -hmm. you know, it was semi-appropriate. It was sort of cute and it helped make up for her bitchiness at the, at the grocery store. But this week she cries twice. What yeah. is wrong with this woman? Well, and also it's it's annoying because you know it's only going to get worse. She's only going to get more tired as these challenges continue and they don't have time off between the challenges. Unlike, you know, we're watching it week to week. They're living this day to day. So she's only be going to become more emotional as mm -hmm. as the season progresses. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you 100%. I now have somebody I don't like, even though she seems like she's a very good chef or cook. That but... just makes it worse. Yeah, because if yeah, she was, because she'd be off sooner. Um, the, my only real issue with the episode, besides Beverly being a dick, is, <laughs> um, I, I had a for some reason I had a really hard time keeping track of who, whose chili was whose. Like, yes, oh, we should say this was a chili cook off. Yeah, um, and and, and yeah. you know that they were divided up into colored teams, and but the colors didn't really reflect how well, like, like their their chili cooking style which got me confused about who did which chili and also who was on which team maybe it mm -hmm. had to do with not not spending enough time in certain situations i don't know were you having that that problem at all i wasn't so much just because they tended to show the people together as a team uh, a lot so they would do all of the green team and then all of the black team etc and so i i was okay following it but i definitely can see where you're coming from with that uh it was fun to watch them interact with the people and discuss, you know, various types of chili and, and all of that. So, I did. I liked. I liked the challenge particularly, but yeah. The, there was. I had two other complaints. One, I would have liked to have known more about how uh, the 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 uh, quick fire winner was able to harness the ghost chili because they didn't really. Yeah. They didn't really get into it, and it seemed like a really difficult thing to do. Well, it just seemed like they gave him points. That gave him the 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 win and the money because he picked the the hottest chili. When they were describing the food and how things tasted, they just sort of said, "Oh, and you used the ghost chili, so good job doing that because yeah. it didn't taste terrible." But then they gave him the win, so they either needed to change the editing up or uh, you know elucidate their opinion uh, more fully. But yeah, it it. it seemed very much like a well you tried and this was the hardest one so here's twenty thousand mm dollars -hmm. yeah exactly um the, the other thing was i forget which person it was but there's actually someone else i picked up this week that i don't like 
who was uh, the one the one who was boasting about stuff in high school when he was when he had a few drinks in him. Uh, oh I, I, yeah, I forget which contestant that was, but that was so obnoxious. That guy needs to go. Yeah, whenever they have those challenges with no time limit, you know people are going to be up all night, and you know that people are going to start acting like assholes a bit when they get tired or if they start drinking. So, yeah, we'll see what happens with, with him. I'm okay with him at, at the moment, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up was, speaking of reality shows, uh, The Amazing Race, which I was in my second week of watching, and you're in, like, your 11th. <laughs> They got the grandparents got eliminated. I'm so disappointed. I, I wish that there had been, there had been a catch up phase, you know, like where they're all waiting for a train or something, and so everybody gets to basically catch up and start at the same point. Like they seem to have every week. There wasn't this week, and so the grandparents got eliminated because they just got sidelined by the the bodybuilder challenge last week and were unable to make up the time. And it's really too bad because Jeremy and Sandy gotta go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, th- this this episode, I mean, I, I, I've in the past watched The Amazing Race infrequently. This episode featured one of my favorite Amazing Race traditions of, you know, you've got two possible challenges, and the one that sounds easy isn't, and the one that sounds difficult isn't really. Um, I would disagree with that, actually. I think they were just incompetent about their waffles. Waffles are easy to make. <laughs> Well, no, but I can see, like, I don't know, like, if I picked up a card and it said waffles or water, I would just think, oh, I like waffles. I wouldn't even think about, you know, how, <laughs> how uh, building a boat sounds like work. You know, that's how my brain would work if I were on The Amazing Race. And I would probably do a better job at the at, at, at building a raft than making waffles. Um, but, yeah, I, I agree. It was it was very sad that the uh, that the grandparents kicked it. They were pretty sweet. But, you know, they, they, they had a good time. There was yeah. nothing to be ashamed about. Well, and I like that nothing about their elimination had to do with their age they they were hardcore competitors they did you know i mean hardcore is probably the wrong word for this show but uh but but they were strong competitors and the reason they got eliminated was because they sucked at the bodybuilding competition Mm -hmm. it wasn't anything to do with them getting tired or or overstrained or anything like that so you know at least they went out well yeah i did think it was a little much at the end though when they when they lost gracefully, and it's like, this is proof that old people can contribute. It's like, come on, guys, you're on the amazing race. <laughs> this is not the place for point scoring uh, well, of that nature. They do, every team does that. Yeah, you know, every time that they're, like last time when the, I think it was two two cycles ago or whatever, um, the people who won were Nat and Kat, who were two anesthesiologists. Uh, and and they, they were saying, you know, the old... I'd love to be. I I think a woman, women woman team should win the Amazing Race, and that's why we should win. It's like no, you just want to win, and the fact that you're, you know, both women, it would be nice, but you don't. That's not why you want to win. You you want to win so you can get a million dollars. This was also the first week that I assume this was you know brought up earlier. But this is the first week that it was brought to my attention that one of the snowboarders was also like a hardcore Christian. Oh yes, they both are. Oh yeah, so that was interesting to me. That's I mean at first there was a reference to that earlier in the episode and I thought they were joking, but no, apparently not. Uh but that was that was sort of a a neat combo of uh snowboarding and 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 feeling really really guilty when one of them gets jealous about one of the other about the other ones and the way that panned out with the Mustang was cute, although the Ford product placement was a little chafing. <laughs> yeah, but I'm okay with it because now they get new cars, so That's true. Yeah, it's it's nice to see a 
I would say more accurate depiction of what good Christians are like, you know, as, as opposed to they're not trying to proselytize to the world. That's just so, uh, their value structure. And, yeah. they, you know, so I, I, I enjoy that every now and again. They have a team like that on The Amazing Race. And uh, usually they're not defined by their Christianness. So mm-hmm. it was nice to see. Now, did you get a chance to catch up with Once Upon a Time this week or did you leave that one for me? No, I was going to watch it, but then uh, you told me not to. <laughs> Basically, so, yeah. Well, so this, this, are... But this was a Jane Espenson episode. Yes, oh, Jane Espenson. I love her very much. I think she's an excellent film writer. I, I, I should say I don't know her, of course, but I've enjoyed her writing in the past. But uh, this, this week, and the more after reading Ricky's review on the website, he was much more positive about the episode than I was. It did remind me of the things that I liked, which was the flashback sequence. This was a origin story, sort of, for Jiminy Cricket, um, and who is the the town uh, psychologist or psychiatrist. So the the flashbacks worked really well. Of course, Harry Grainer was there, who you would know as the mayor from Buffy, right, yeah. and it's always so fun to see him pop up. This week, he's this incredibly gleeful and unscrupulous con man and thief um, of the... Why we don't need to steal? We have enough money. Yeah, but it's fun, kind of a character. So, yeah, it was nice to watch him get to play. I think the performance from from Jiminy Cricket, who's Raphael Sparge or something like that, uh, was was very strong. But there was some terrible dialogue and performances in the the present day situation that really marred the episode. Um, now, do you agree with Rick that the main child actor is a continuing problem? No, I don't have any problem with Henry at all. So, I, I mean, I can see how people would, and I can see how that would be a problem when trying to watch the show. But for me, he's he's fine, and I think he has an excellent chemistry with actually both of his parents, with both of his moms. So, yeah, I, you know, we'll see if he becomes more of a problem for me. I do think that he is rather one note at the moment, but... For now, that's nowhere near the list, uh, the top of the list of my issues with the show. So, I do enjoy fairy tales. I enjoy getting some family-friendly programming, but they're they need to bring up the the bottom level of some of their dialogue and some of their performances for the show to really be solid. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, we also, of course, watched The Walking Dead this week, which you can hear all about on the Sound Outside Walking Dead podcast with us and Ricky and. I- I will also mention that the starting in the new year, we're going to start putting the Walking Dead episodes out on the Televerse feed as well. So some of you guys will be getting you guys will be getting two podcasts from us in a given week. Um, there is also a separate Walking Dead feed, but we figured this way people who are looking for the TV coverage that we do at Sound on Sight can get it all in one place, which is on the Televerse feed. So yes, um, we both liked the episode. I would say it was the best episode of television this week what are you what about you you know what i think you're actually right i i I hadn't thought about it that way but i think it is true i didn't think it was quite the i think actually my favorite of the season so far was save the last one um Mm -hmm. just because i i like the way that they changed up the editing and the directing and whatnot but i mean clearly the climax of this episode was very effective i think everyone was happy with it anyway listen to the episode and find out more because we don't really feel like rehashing it now, this week, we're doing something different. We yeah. do not have a spotlight, and that is because, unlike the other reviews I've been reading, 
neither one of us was particularly enamored with Homeland this week, so we didn't want to feature it, and so we're just not, we're going to skip that part of the show this week. What did you think of of this week's episode, and why didn't it quite work for you? Yeah, we we, we don't want to condone Homeland's behavior. You know, <laughs> Homeland is, is in a weird position right now, because most first seasons are deeply flawed. You know, they're 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 full of problems that you, you have to readjust things and recalibrate. Homeland's been really, really confident. It's gone from strength to strength. And in a way, I've been waiting to watch it screw up. And I feel like it finally did that this week. But not necessarily in the ways that I was expecting when I when I first heard people, some people express disappointment this week. I mean, I, I'm not, cr- I wasn't crazy about the reveal of Brody having a relationship with Nazir's kid. Um... And you know the, that whole thing. I'm, but I, I don't really have that fundamental an issue with it. I think my bigger problem this week was the writing, in terms okay. of there they really were very clear about developing their theme of you know American foreign aggression and you know the ramifications of that, which is you know that that's that's a relevant theme to develop. But they were spelling it out for us in almost every scene with multiple characters doing it. And it was really, really obnoxious. Well, there were just so many bits of dialogue that just weren't good, such as, you know, Brody gets left alone with this kid. He has no idea how to teach him, and the kid doesn't even like him. And so he looks at him, he gives this, you know, Damien Lewis gives this excellent look. But then he says, I don't know what to do. I'm not a teacher. <laughs> Why would... Why would you do that? You have an excellent actor right there who can convey that with a glance. And instead you stop the action to have him spell it out, even though he would never say that. He would think that, but he would not say it. And there were several instances of dialogue along that those lines this week that really took me out of it. Um, for me, my biggest problem was using the death of of Isa to to motivate Brody into whatever his part in Abu Nizir's scheme is mm-hmm. because he's a soldier and he was in Iraq for a while one assumes before being kidnapped and yes he established a very close relationship with this kid and then this kid was supposedly killed by the United States government in a drone attack however he should have seen just as many children butchered by by these uh terrorists in in his time in iraq iud's and other such attacks so the notion that that there the america is now somehow wrong and different you know i could see him being disillusioned and thinking america is no better than the terrorists but this notion that he that all is now siding with them even though it it only makes sense for him to have seen other other families destroyed by their actions that it, it really took me out of it yeah it, it it's definitely a bit of a stretch i mean and there are a few episodes left in the season and i think they've got time to justify their decision and you know flesh certain things out but it's definitely the least convincing plot turn so far and they, they've had a lot of good ones and a lot of surprising ones and you know it's and if this one doesn't work i don't think it's uh I don't think it's a deal breaker. I think they can move on from this and we can say, okay, well, that wasn't so great, but it's back to the compelling stuff or they can fix it. Either way, it's not a huge problem, but I do think it's their first really significant set of missteps. Well, and there's just too much convenient, 
turns of 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 action in this in this episode even something like that what happens with Isa felt very, I mean I was waiting to hear that Abu Nazir had actually do, intentionally done this to get Brody on his side or Although uh, would that have really been any better? Well, at least it would make it, it would make sense. I mean, it would have there being a stronger reason for him to be there than just cuz, you know, <laughs> to teach him, you know, yeah. to, for him to have have been in that situation, you know, and then there's also where it, you know we see the the two men wrapping Issa's Issa's body. That is, where was the mother in that? We never saw his mother, and she sh- should have been around, or there should have been some mention of of her being dead or gone or something. And instead, we just get this again incredibly conveniently left alone child, so that Brody can can bond, bond with, with him. It. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then and then the last major con- uh, convenient moment was at the very end when Brody walks out of the the house just before Saul and Carrie pull up. You know, it's just mm-hmm. I, I I don't know. That, well, that that didn't bother me so much. Oh, although there was one other really chafing bit of dialogue, uh, and you may have noticed that the character of of Carrie's superior is usually the one they use to uh, to get you up to speed. And there was a really bad instance of, of getting him to clarify stuff for you when he said something to the effect of, you're going, to, you recorded the, your, your superior at the FBI, you're going to use him against it. Like, okay, really? You had to, we just saw that happen. You don't need to explain to us what she's doing. We yeah. know she's insane. There was a couple of things I liked this week. I, did, I liked the standoff between Walker and the and the hunter, I thought that was nice and tense. That was um, great. I really liked that too. Especially that, that just that shot of of the hunter sort of, sort just sort of fingering for his bullets, just so he knew where they were. He wasn't going for them yet, but he was. Mm-hmm. He's just being safe or trying to and failing. Um, and I like the stuff with Saul, which was nice and subtle. Which was probably the only thing in the episode that was kind of subtle, where he, we don't really know what's going on with him. We just know that you know, life kind of blows for him right now and. That's just where he's at. I thought that was nicely done. I, I liked a lot of the stuff we got with Carrie, too. I like how well she read the situation with the imam and his wife. And I also liked how clearly respectful she was of the mosque and, and the everyone everyone who was there, their religious and cultural and, uh, you know, values. Their, their, mm-hmm. What was important to them, she respected that. And I thought that was a nice through line that we've also seen... Uh, repeatedly from Saul um, over the course of the season. So I liked, I did actually like a lot of the episode. It's just yeah. the Brody things we got really did yeah. <laughs> work for me. But but even in the stuff with the imam, you still had that scene when she meets up with the, with the imam's wife again. And then they have her say, oh, you knew I couldn't be alone with, with, with my husband. And he was like, oh, really? We needed yeah. you to spell that out for us? Come on. So yeah, I'm I'm a little disappointed, but I'm I'm hoping that they they uh, I hope, I'm, I'm hoping it's a temporary setback on the yeah. season's road to excellence. So fingers crossed. <laughs> now there, you know, how I met your mother was is already on hiatus, so there's nothing on Monday. But I did get a chance. I didn't think I would be able to, but I got a chance this week to finish catching up with Louis season two, which is one of those big ones I needed to make sure I saw before we submit our best of the year list. So it was. I know this is, I'm way behind the curve and this is nothing new, but it was fabulous. It was so good. And I was, 
I just in, I marathoned most of the season in one sitting and it, it was incredibly satisfying. And I absolutely saw what you're talking about when we, we discussed in the newsroom, the Canadian comedy series, a few episodes back about how Louis season two tied in with that, uh, with, with, with Ken Finkelman's uh, style and altruistic control and shaping of his series. And I, I think that's absolutely true in this season. And I, I loved it. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I, I feel like I've, I've talked about Louis too much, although I haven't talked about it that much on the show, just because I talk about it with other people so much. Um, I love Louis, the show, so much. Um, I, I, I love Louis. The, <laughs> the, 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 the thing about it is I'm hoping that, well, first of all, I'm, I'm hoping he gets to make it for a long time, and it costs clearly no money to make. So, And, and I, you know, I, I did the math uh, a little while ago, and... Um, one season of Louis costs basically the same as one episode of Breaking Bad. <laughs> so, you know, th there's no reason for them to not continue to, to make it. But um, I I'm hoping that Louis is a show that that influences other comics, influences other showrunners to be bolder and to take more chances because it's, you know, he's he's managed to create a, a following for a show that is relentlessly individualistic. I mean, there's really nothing else that's remotely like it on TV right now. I mean, obviously, yes, the newsroom is, is sort of similar. And if you look at Larry David shows, there is an influence there. And there's also sort of, there's a similar sense of sort of self flagellation that you see in some, with, with some other comics. But I think that just the combination of, sort of film geek aesthetics, which you see a lot in the dream sequences. Um, and you know, the, and his sort of take on, um, on, a, on contemporary America, which, which sounds heavy, but it's true. It's what he's doing. And it's, and he, I, I love the way he folds in sophisticated commentary with the absolute lowest common denomination of humor. <laughs> uh, yes. like, like no one else. Yeah. And, for me, it doesn't even really feel like a comedy series a lot of the times. It just feels truthful, and it feels like we get to watch uh, an artist explore what is important to him in life. And uh, and it's just remarkable to watch him get to play and to stretch and grow in, in what he's saying and how he's saying it. Um, as for particular things about the season that worked for me, I love that we got so much time with the kids who are hilarious, just the performances they, that he got from those kids are spot on and a lot of fun. There were some, some entertaining guest stars and one episode bits. Of course, I already talked about this with you, but I love how pathetic the ending of the season is. It's, it's hilarious and they pull off what really shouldn't work in an airport goodbye sequence. But, um, yeah, I, I can't wait for it to come back. And it's definitely top of the list for comedies this year. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you, you mentioned the airport thing. And that's, I'm really hoping he manages to get Pamela Adlin back again next season. Because whenever they stick them together, it's just, it's to me just perfect. Uh, she's also the only person to get a, a writing credit on the show besides Louis C. She gets a, a story credit on one episode. So that's, that's significant. Um the other thing that besides the kids that's major this season that wasn't really around so much before is that it's also, it's really become a show about being a comic. You know, it's, it really gets into sort of the, the, the politics and the, the, the emotions of, of both being a failed stand-up comedy and being a successful one. 
I think that provided some of the best material. Like I love the Doug Stanhope episode, um, Eddie, I think it's called, um, mm-hmm. when, you know, he sort of deals with one of his friends who's become suicidal. I thought that was really well done. And uh, we also get that with the Joan Rivers episode, which was okay. But then we also get it with the Dane Cook episode, which I thought was awesome. And that mm-hmm. was another, another one of those things that you shouldn't have been able to pull off, but totally was. Yeah. It's a great series. And, of course, everybody should who hasn't seen it yet should go uh, check it out and and catch up because it is fantastic television. Yeah. We're, we're hoping to do a couple more uh, catch-up segments before the year is out because there is stuff that... Uh, we didn't get to talk about and uh, we'll hopefully get to talk about on the regular in the new year. Yeah. Now, before we go into our DVD segment, we are going to be talking with Corey Tad from the website. He's currently covering Homeland for us, but we're going to talk, uh, spend a little extra time this week talking Freaks and Geeks, uh, Judd Apatow's fantastic series from 1999 to 2000. But before we get into that, some show notes, of course, you can always reach us at soundonsite.org where there will be a blog post up for this podcast. You can catch all of our, our, our previous episodes there as well. Um, we have email. I'd love to hear from you guys. Send us an email. We'll read it out on the show. Or if you'd rather, I can just reply to you in person. Um, and that's theteleverse at gmail.com. We're both on Twitter. I'm at theteleverse. You are? I'm at Sucker Howell. That's H-O-W-E-L-L. Um, unfortunately, this week we did not reach our goal of a new iTunes rating. So that is going to continue to be our goal. We would love to hear from, from more of you. So uh, leave us a comment, send us a tweet, uh, send us an email, and join in on the discussion because it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, I The last thing I will mention is that coming up on the website in December, we're going to have our 25 Days of Christmas, in which Ricky, who runs, of course, the film side of things, is going to take over and do TV while I venture into reviewing some Christmas films. It was hard for me to come up with a list of, of, of movies because I wanted to do all ones that I hadn't seen before. And I did a 25 Days of Christmas myself last year, so I was kind of running low on Christmas films. Do you have a favorite Christmas film? You know what I realized is set at Christmas the other day? The Proposition. Ah. That movie is set at Christmas, so that's got to be one of my favorite Christmas films. (laughs) (laughs) Good times. My my old standby was always, of course, Die Hard, because it's an amazing film, and I love Die Hard. But after rewatching everything, I had to, last year, I had to admit that it's a Wonderful Life really is an amazing film and is the best Christmas movie. So closely followed by A Christmas Story and then probably The Grinch, of course, the animated uh, uh, TV special as opposed to the, the film. Um, and and so I, I look forward to, to adding some new additions to that. And I, I'll pro- I think I'm starting out with Christmas Vacation because I have still not seen that. And uh, I don't know, I look forward to Adventures with the Griswold Family. So... Well, you you can look for that at soundonsite.org. We'll have a different review up every day leading up to Christmas, and it should be a lot of fun. Awesome. So we're going to take a break now, listen to a clip and some a very brief amount of music of from Freaks and Geeks uh, theme song and first episode. So we'll be back after this talk, to talk Freaks and Geeks. <laughs> oh, man, you want to hear something way messed up? You know that Molly Hatchet shirt I was wearing the other day? <laughs> you know the one with the executioner guy holding that bloody axe under his foot the severed head? Yeah. That's my shirt. <laughs> yeah, so my mom, she makes us go to church every week. And we got to dress up. And so I get there, and the stupid priest says I can't come in. 
<laughs> you can't wear stuff like that at church, man. Why not, man? It's church. You're supposed to forgive people there. <laughs> so you hate my shirt. Forgive me. Let me come in. Yeah, I believe in God, man. See, I felt his power. He plays drums for Led Zeppelin, and his name is John Bonham, baby. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Lisa, here's those noogies you uh, ordered. Hey, Lisa, Cinderella story. Yeah, for my greenkeeper. Go, you got that one. It's in the hole, it's in the hole. Somewhere. You really like Bill Murray, don't you? Yeah, he's great. Bill Murray sucks, man. No, he doesn't. He's cool. Oh, really? What is he? Your boyfriend? Sam Queer? It's fighting time, weird. Leave me alone, Ellen. I'm sorry. I don't speak geek. I always wanted to know what it'd be like to fight a girl. I'm a girl. Want to see what it'd be like to fight me? Huh. Weird sister has to protect him. I'm not protecting him. Just trying to figure out why it is you need to pick fights with guys who weigh less than 100 pounds. Watch out, Ellen. I think she's high on pot. Yeah, I might just go psycho. Wanna try me? You're dead, all right? As soon as your freak sister isn't around, I'm gonna clean you, man. You know, you really didn't need to do that. I could have handled it. Yeah, I know. And by the way, I weigh 103 pounds. Sorry. Man. I hate high school. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kulzik, of course, joined by Mr. Simon Howell. And this week at the DVD shelf, we are pleased to welcome Corey Atad to talk Freaks and Geeks. Corey, thanks for coming on the show. Hi, yeah, thanks for having me. So, Freaks and Geeks, uh, it is one of the probably the most beloved, canceled early series. What is it about it? about this series that made you want to talk about it? Uh, I mean, mostly it's just that it's a favorite of mine. And also, you know, there's only 18 episodes. So it's pretty easy to cover kind of the whole breadth of the series um, in just kind of one talk. But yeah, I mean, it's one of those shows that I, you know, I I caught up on pretty late. Um, I think it was, it had to have been like maybe a year or something before Knocked Up came out, like in between 40-Year-Old Virgin and Knocked Up when Judd Apatow was really blowing up. And it's just one of those shows that, you know, spoke to me. (laughs) (laughs) Not much other way of putting it. Well, it's just, it's such a truthful show and that you can tell that the writers based it on their childhoods because there's just so much about it that is the detail that is the specific detail about Michigan in the eighties and the early eighties that is, and, and just exactly what these high school experiences were like. Um, and I think it's, it's a fabulous series. It's very beautifully done. And it's one that I, I took forever to catch up with, at least compared to how I usually, how long I usually take to catch these, these cult favorite kind of series. It was one that I just kept hearing 
mentioned is one of the the brilliant but canceled series and so i i eventually i had a summer where i watch i watched this i watched my so-called life i watched profit i watched a bunch of these undeclared um, i have not caught up with undeclared yet uh, gotta but, watch undeclared but yeah it's just it's such like you're saying it's uh it's it's a very it's a show that will speak to you if, if you have um if, especially if you were either a freak or a geek. I was a geek. Um, and so I very much identified with those characters. But but yeah, I, I love this series. Now, Simon, you were new to Freaks and Geeks. Uh, what did you think of, of the, the series? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I'd seen a couple of episodes uh, just because, well, especially when I, when I first started the Televerse, I thought, okay, there's a bunch of things I've never seen before that I should probably watch. One of those is Freaks and Geeks. And I watched the first, I think, three episodes. I thought it was fine but not mind-blowing i i think that the trouble with one-offs like this is that they're so mythologized and clearly the show's had such an influence that i I think in some ways they can't help but be a little bit disappointing so in that sense i i think that still that still turned out to be the case but i did really enjoy it i i think part of my i think my enjoyment was hampered by two things uh one of them and they're they're both personal one of them is that I, I, I'm generally not a fan of high school set um, shows or films, really, that don't filter that experience through something else. Just because high school is a time when everything is heightened. And so I, you know, I think about my high school experiences. And if, if I watch a representation that isn't uh, an accurate reflection, then I feel like offended on some level, which isn't fair. <laughs> But it's but it is accurate. So you know that's why I, I relate much more to something like Veronica Mars than I do to to Freaks and Geeks. Even though you know I only look a little bit like Kristen Bell. <laughs> um, the the other thing is that there's so many people on the show now. I mean, nearly everyone who is a a principal actor on the show is is now a really big deal. And you know that a lot of that has to do with sort of the rise of the House of Apatow. But you know, there's also some of these people that I'm just sort of tired of seeing, and see, and the fact that the, that the series is older doesn't ameliorate the fact that I'm tired of seeing them. So you know, every time we we go to Seth Rogen or James Franco or to some degree even Jason Segel, I'm 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 it's I'm sort of naturally inclined to be more interested in the other characters just because I don't see them all the time, like now even. I see what you're saying, but I think. I have the reason I enjoy the geeks more than the freaks is just because I think their storylines are more interesting to oh, me. Oh, there's that too. Um, but as far as I, I, I mean, I love Veronica Mars. Of course, we talked about that recently. But uh, f- for me, Freaks and Geeks is a much more true and realistic high school depiction than anything we get in Veronica Mars. Uh, though I do hear what you say; it's not a heightened show, and that's actually one of the things I I like about it. I like that. It, characters for the most part don't get over emotional they don't get hysterical because that sort of detachment at least to me seems more accurate to what most high school students are doing um when they're in high school at least uh so uh cory what are i mean everybody every person i talk to about this show tends to have a different favorite episode favorite character and favorite storyline as, as it were uh how, where do you fall down on, on the different characters? Um, I mean, I, I generally uh, fall in line with the geeks, like in terms of my, being the favorite characters. But I think that's more to do with just that they, they're they the characters that bring the comedy, usually. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I mean, I guess if I was if, I, if I'm going for that, I would also go for uh, for um, their the dad. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm blanking on his name right now. Um, Mr. Weir. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, Joe Flaherty. Her- yeah, Joe Flaherty. Harold Weir um, is hilarious, but. Yeah, I mean, like, it's one of those cases, like, I, I really love Jason Siegel in it. Um, and I think when I watched, like, it's one of the, again, this is one of those weird cases where I, I watched it just before Knocked Up came out. So just before, like, all of these people became really huge. Like, they were all recognizable from, um, from 40-Year-Old Virgin, but they weren't yet, like, they didn't have How I Met Your Mother. Um, there weren't all these other things. So, yeah, for me, Jason Siegel was, like, the big discovery from it. Um, and I, I think he's amazing in the show. But, yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's, that's just me. For me, the character I probably walk away with enjoying the most, uh, especially as I was rewatching some of it to, to talk about it on, on, on this uh, segment, is Martin Starr as Bill. I think he just yes. about steals every scene that he's in and uh on youtube you can see most of their audition tapes and from from the audition he just had this character perfect down pat which i think is is so i think so i think i just think his delivery is so hilarious um simon what about you um well you know it's it's a little on the obvious side but i i really gravitated towards john francis daly who i i i think is just great and i in terms of like arcs and and things i appreciated I really like the way his relationship with Cindy plays out yes. over the course of the season. That yes, to me yeah. felt that was the most genuine feeling thing to me. Although, you know, some of the Republican stuff is, is a little bit ham fisted, you know, it, it was, it was broadly played, but not, not in an awful way. Um, I, I just, I, I love the way they, they go from friends to other stuff. And, and then when, when he has to end it, I thought that was that was really nicely done, and I, I love their date at at the jerk. That was fantastic. Oh, well, just that he knows he has to end it when she doesn't like Steve Martin. I just yeah. There's just something so true to. I I feel like that'd be something like for me. I I would be going out with someone, and then I'd find out they didn't like the Princess Bride, and I would be like, well, we gotta end, we gotta end this because clearly, it's over, yeah. If they don't get this, then they don't get me. So. Yeah, I, it's it's so refreshing to see the the nerdy kid, or whenever the the geek, as it were, get the cheerleader, and then realize that that's not who he wants. Um, because I don't think can you think of another show where we've seen that happen? Uh, I'm blanking. I'm sure it has. It feels it feels like a storyline that has to have been done. But yeah, I can't I can't think of any other one. They're just. Um, the the relationships on the show are just so so interesting. Even just something like you expect the relationship between Lindsay and and Nick, so Linda Cardellini and Jason Siegel, to be the the drive of the show. Of course, Lindsay starts out hanging out with the freaks because she has a crush on on Daniel Desario, played by James Franco. But then a relationship develops with Nick instead, and you expect that to be the 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 because this is a a teen high school show to be the the emotional drive. For those characters and then it's not they they nicely subvert it in a way that feels very truthful to stupid kids getting into strange and complicated relationships yeah i with that like that relationship in particular the one with um with uh sam and cindy is a little bit more 
sort of there's like a clear arc to it mm-hmm. um which you know is it's great but what i like about the nick Lindsay um pairing is that you kind of have these two characters who get together but maybe should never have gotten together but the thing is they really to like each other obviously nick likes Lindsay way more than the other way around but even you know by the time you get to the last episode and she's clearly kind of jealous of the fact that he's now with somebody else and he's moved on and she's kind of trying to work out in her mind whether that's because she actually really cares for him that way or if it's just because she felt needed by him and now he's kind of moved on um, like, I really love that kind of complex writing. And, and you don't you don't see that very much on any TV series, let alone, you know, a high school, ostensibly a high school comedy. Well, I, I don't think it's so much that they shouldn't have gotten together. I think it's more that, and I, I think this is, again, it's nicely done. I think the show just sort of acknowledges that neither Lindsay nor Nick are sort of fully formed people yet. Right. Like, you know, Nick is in the... I, I love that Nick develops this, like, weird, spiteful love of disco. Um, yes. And, you know, and kicks the drugs and is, is sort of, you know, is is sort of realigning himself. And Lindsay also doesn't really know what, what, what she wants either. So it makes sense that they don't fit together. But then when she sees that he's that he's no longer smoking pot, he she thinks, well, maybe he's maturing. And I, I, I think that's 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 really what's going on is so she has to sort of you know reconsider her 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 feelings and i think that that's all played in a in a fairly realistic way well and it's just so nice to watch a high school based series where these are not forever loves i mean these are first boyfriends and girlfriends these are high school crushes these are not you know eternal soulmates who are meeting when they're 16 you know it's right yeah it's, it's so great speaking of this cast i mean it really is a fantastic cast from from top to bottom even with the the guest stars who come in for 5 minutes at a time i feel like we got to give some props to the casting department i know they this is i i believe the only emmy the series got was for casting for a comedy and yeah i mean damn <laughs> Yeah, even yeah. Rashida Jones as the bully mm-hmm. uh, early on is you know you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily think of her that way, but she's actually she's great in the role and little little you know lots of Apatow's buddies show up like uh, like Ben Stiller as the uh, as the Secret Service agent and you know, this sort of stuff you'd expect, but I mean all the all the kids are are great really even if some of them you know get a little bit less to do, right. And actually, it's weird because Freaks and Geeks is the first time, like, the casting was so good that it's the first time I've ever paid attention to who the casting director was. Um, and I'm pretty sure her name is uh, Allison Jones. And, like, she's she does, like, all the Aptow stuff, but she also did, like, Arrested Development. And I think she worked on, like, uh, The Office. She, she does casting for The Office. So, like parks and recreation i think she did a a few episodes of so basically like she's obviously amazing at finding these people um and and then also like keeping them around like getting them into other stuff and finding other roles for them because like the the freaks and geeks people as great as the show was i mean they could have all gone on to do nothing um but i guess by virtue of getting themselves cast in the right place but also then making the connections um they they kind of spread around really nicely. 
Well, and of course, Linda Cardellini went on to be very successful uh, on, on ER, and John Prince Daly is on Bones right now, and right. Uh, I mean, James Franco, that goes without without saying, yeah. um, but Busy Phillips has been rocking it on Cougar Town, when, yes, at least when yes, the show is allowed to be on the air, and then, of course, Jason Segel and Seth Rogen. The, the, Martin Starr, of course, pops up uh, memorably on, on Party Down, and then again, he was on a recent episode of Community, and so you'll see him here and there. The one that I feel like I really wish I got to see more of, uh, just in, in general, like in television and film, is Sam Levine, because I think he's so perfect as Neil. He's just hilarious. Yeah. yeah, it's weird. It's weird that the only other thing I associate him with is Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. yeah, and he's in it for like. Does he even have any speaking lines in that? I, he may maybe like two. Maybe. Um, yeah, I mean it's uh, and also worth noting that um, Lizzie Kaplan turns up uh, as uh, as Nick's eventual uh, sort of rebound, which I thought that was pretty adorable. Yeah, I mean her and Rashida Jones. It's really funny because this is like way earlier than than you know uh the office and you know whatever they're doing now so it's like the fact that they got cast in this so early is pretty impressive or even shia labeouf who comes in he auditioned oh, for, yeah. for neil apparently but he comes in as the original mascot when uh, uh when sam takes over as the mascot. he's just hilarious in his yeah. like two scenes but it's it's just so fun and of course that was even before even stevens and so that's before he was a disney kid um and so yeah i I did not even recognize him yeah i I, I I watched that episode and i did not clue into that at all yeah he's pretty oh really because it's pretty obviously him i mean and and when when you're looking for it yes yeah it's it's total like shia labeouf shtick but he's good and then i'm what, what is it in the first episode? Um, ben Foster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ben Foster. Um, yeah. So. Well, I mean, Jason Schwartzman, David Crumholtz, Matt Zuckery, yeah. you know, we're, who we are currently fans of on The Good Wife. I mean, David Koechner uh, and uh, Kevin Corrigan, who was so hilarious on Community yes. last year. I mean, it's just full of, uh, full of, of, of that person kind of guest stars and let's let's not uh we've we've somehow overlooked uh dave gruber allen mm-hmm. who's who's also really good as the hippie guidance counselor oh I, yes I, I i i like the way he's he's folded in and is sometimes sort of an object of ridicule but really is just sort of i i, I like the way all the kids basically like him well yeah. and i love that they're so lucky to have him because he is he's he could that character could easily be the out of touch ex-hippie guidance counselor but he absolutely has their best interests in heart and understands their situation like what they're dealing with and you can see that in his performance that he actually is a pretty darn good guidance counselor all things considered yeah yeah he's great yeah mr rosso he's if only all guidance counselors were Mr. Rosso. Um, and then and then also uh, Coach Fredericks, played by uh, Tom Wilson from Back to the Future, mm-hmm. which, like, the second that I saw him in the series, I was just like, yes, Back to the Future. <laughs> I love this show now. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he's, and he's great. Uh, Simon, you said that you hadn't seen uh, the episode Dead Dog and Gym Teachers, but that... That's too bad, actually, because that episode's really crucial, and he is fantastic in that episode. Yeah, well, I mean, he's great when he does when he gives his sort of sex ed lesson. 
Oh yes, and, and that, yes. that that whole scene, and that I love that <laughs> montage, which 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 features no dialogue, just music and yeah, and reaction and then, shots. Yeah, horrified reactions. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really nicely done, and I like the way I think really the most the most sort of innovative thing about the show to me is the way the characters deal with with sex and with sort of growing up and they and the way they talk about it it's it's all very specific it's not it's sort of not sort of generalized and and whitewashed it's and you know they they get into these like absurd little details that they obsess over and that's what kids do and yeah. that's they they talk about it in a way that's very unusual for television that that's the thing i think overall that the the sort of representational element that i found the most interesting yeah yeah, no, it's like, and what's pretty impressive, this was a network TV series, and, and the way that they kind of managed to get around some of the limitations of that, um, like that no dialogue uh, sex ed thing, but, you know, that that's played more for comedy, but just sort of in general, the way they managed to get around, I guess, the network censors um, and address mm-hmm. these issues, and, and really, like, it's an example of, to me, how you don't necessarily need all these things to be raunchy and um, over the top like that. Um, Even though teenagers are pretty raunchy and over the top, it's kind of not necessary. That would almost be distracting from, I I guess, the honesty of what's being covered in the series. Um, And I think also the other thing that really I always kind of admired about the show is how it often flips your perceptions of the characters um, so like, you know, you might think Mr. Uh, you know, we we're talking about Mr. Ross, you might think that he's out of touch or whatever. And then you kind of get to know him and realize kind of just how great he is. Um, same thing with, uh, Tom Wilson's character. Um, same thing with, with, uh, Mr. Weir. Um, he, he could be like the ultimate out of touch father, but then there's like the moment at the end of, uh, the garage door which is just so beautiful and mm-hmm. and it's funny but it's just like at that moment you just realize how deep this character really is well and even just his interactions with nick you you think of him as this this out of touch dorky dad and then you find out that he knows all this great stuff about drums that he and nick can connect on a level of, of great music and, and drums that you wouldn't expect and it's such a lovely touch to the character and really makes him feel human um you, you spoke of the garage door and that I, I already talked about this with simon but one of the things that i find most impressive about this series is that when i think of the best and most standout moments and the, my favorite moments of the series there are probably just as many dramatic moments as comedic moments and this is because it this is a show that succeeds just as well with its drama and as with its comedy and i think that's a rarity yeah well i mean it is an hour-long drama series or drama or whatever you want to call it but yeah i mean i I think even for me it might even be more edging towards the drama in terms of what's memorable like while i'm watching it i'll be enjoying it on more of a humor level but then the stuff that really sticks with you is the dramatic stuff and the garage door is just like that episode um where you basically find out that uh, uh, Neil's father is having an affair. Um, it's it's such a brilliant, beautiful little episode, um, kind of in the middle of this series that really sort of 
I think when I when I watched the series the first time through, that episode really took it to another level in terms of uh, what kind of drama the show was willing to go for. But again, it it never goes over the top with it, and that almost makes it more of like it it hurts so much more when Neil is like riding around on his bike at night trying to open whatever garage door will open um, with that remote control. It it's just so beautiful and so devastating. You know, what? what 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 really worked to me about that episode wasn't necessarily the you know, this the stuff that you mentioned of, you know, Neil's sort of quest. It was just those little scenes of 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 the geeks hanging around and talking about their future marriages. <laughs> oh, yeah. And and just oh, I wouldn't cheat on my wife and blah blah blah. I don't get it. And I, I don't know. I, I, I just love the no, short sightedness doesn't even sum up just just that they're their sheer naivete and sweetness about the whole thing is, is really great. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think that's just another perfect example um, of Sam Levine knocking it out of the park with his, his late episodes, like his very last scene in the episode, he finds the garage door and just, oh, I'm getting choked up thinking about it. It just absolutely the anger and the pain in his face is yeah. perfect. Yeah. I think, I mean, sort of what works about that in particular is is that you get that blend of like i don't want to call it comedy because it feels too real to be called comedy but yeah you have the sort of smaller scenes where you see the the naivety and and all of that and then it kind of and then it all hits home and you realize how serious it is and like when neil is riding around on the bike with uh, uh with bill and sam and they're they kind of just want to go home and he it kind of finally clicks in and he's just like, look, this is serious. This isn't just, you know, it's like, this is my life. Are you not going to help me? And I don't know. It's just, yeah, that episode is, is amazing. Well, and to take it to, for at least for me, my other most memorable, cause that, that end of that episode is probably one of the most memorable for me, but the other two that immediately come to mind are total comedy moments, which are, Bill dressing up as the bionic woman for Halloween. And then the last episode, because as I've mentioned on the show before, I love me some Dungeons and Dragons. So seeing the in Discos and Dragons, the the finale, that that sequence of of Daniel joining the geeks to play some D&D, I just, I love it because that's that's what D&D is like. You're just hanging out with your friends, having a great time, getting into you know, adventures in your imagination. And I mean, community's D and D episode was, was, was pretty fun last year, but I just, I love that sequence. It's like Carlos, the dwarf. It's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that whole Dungeons and Dragons thing is great. And also that episode has, um, Nick doing disco, mm-hmm. which when he does his dance, it's like, it's breathtakingly hilarious. And well, uh- yeah. What, what I what I really like about the finale is, and I, I guess this sort of connects to my overall feelings on the season. The, the the thing with Freaks and Geeks for me is when I think it's too bad that Freaks and Geeks got canceled. To me, it's not so much because you know it's perfect and beautiful because it isn't. Uh, not to me anyway. I think the reason that it's too bad it got canceled is because I think there's a lot more they they could they still had to do and they didn't right. really get get to do it. I think. In those in that episode in particular, they they start to finally really like break down the barriers between these sort of arbitrary social groupings, 
which are, which is sort of what what bugged me about the show to some extent. Um, you know, it, it the, the, the show is very content to ha- to have the jocks as just the jocks. But I get the sense that if the show had gone on longer, maybe that wouldn't have been the case. Maybe they would have done something with that. Um, well, I that's funny actually because I don't know that I completely agree with that. Like I I feel like I mean. When I went to high school, it was not like that at all. But I've been told that other high schools are a little bit more, like, cliquey and um, kind of separated and whatever. But for me, what always sort of worked about the show is that it's not so much that these are, like, the geeks and the freaks. It's that these are just – they're kind of these groups of friends who happen to hang out with each other, and they happen to also be geeks. But they do cross over with, you know, like, the whole thing with Cindy, and and there there are, like – points where they cross over and and actually the series begins with Lindsay kind of crossing from one group of people to another um so i think that that was always sort of built into the dna of the show but yeah definitely i mean it was only 18 episodes and so kind of um it was kind of limited to just developing these core groups but yeah you're probably right had it gone on more they probably would have broken it down a bit more yeah and they're starting to do it there like you know you've got desario desario uh playing D D, and you've got to some extent you've also got nick sort of realizing that he's not just the the you know the rocker he thought he was right and and you know i, I would have loved to have to have had them had more time to have characters sort of growing and changing and realizing that their allegiances are not set in stone well, and right. when you hear some of what they had planned for the second season, it just makes it all the more painful because they're going to greatly expand and focus on uh, um, on Neil's family, his parents' divorce. That was going to be a big part of of the second season. And, and Neil was going to join Swing Choir, which just is so perfect for that character. Yes. And <laughs> Millie was going to become a total... Uh, pothead as I or, or, or druggy in the 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 second season. Um, that which makes sense. I just which I, I mean because if I am one of these characters, I am Millie. <laughs> that was that was me in high school without the Jesusiness, but overachieving. But we have to do our homework. Kind of, that that was me. I didn't go to parties. That didn't sound like you know my kind of fun. So. I think that would have been an interesting journey to, to watch just in all of these, you know, to see, to get more, to spend more time with, with, uh, with Ken and Amy, his, his girlfriend and get, getting to, to experience, uh, that development. I just, it really makes you, you wish you could see more of what this show would have become. Cause I think any of these characters, it was so accurate in that they are still, like you said, Simon, mostly unformed so to watch them sort of figure out who they were would have been a lot of fun now kate you've you've mentioned that there's there are aspects of the finale that you're not so happy with i hate the ending and i think i'm the only freaks and geeks fans fan who does so so what's (laughs) wrong with you because um i i get angry i get incredibly angry at Lindsay at the end I'm incredibly angry at her at the end because Why? because of how incredibly selfish she's being and the pain she is causing her parents because they will find out because parents always find out you don't you can't just go off with the Grateful Dead and pretend that you're in Michigan you're wherever that conference was maybe it was Wisconsin and, and expect that they're not going to find out so 
that just because that's not how life works usually and so and, and just the way that you can see her throwing away her future and i know that that's the cliche thing and that's what the parents are saying but that's not supposed to be true to her you know her experience or whatever but she's going to go off and travel with the dead and who knows what'll happen and she could get raped and murdered two towns along the way hitchhiking with these people that she barely knows and and in more than anything else is the betrayal to her parents who have been nothing but amazing and supportive to her so yeah interesting it's yeah it's it's (laughs) such an incredibly selfish decision and it's something that you do when you're a stupid teenager and you don't realize what bridges you're burning and how much it will destroy your relationship with the yeah, people but... who care about you well okay but see okay that's where i might disagree like i yeah it is the decision that a stupid teenager would make which is kind of yeah. why it's perfect but it's also <laughs> like i feel like she's not really burning bridges it's one of those it's one of those cases where um you know yeah she'll come back her parents will find out uh, there'll be kind of a bit of a mess there, but I don't think it's like she's throwing her future away. You know what I mean? I think it's just one of those uh, one of those cases where she was just like, here's something that I would rather do than go off and, and worry about what I'm going to be in 20 years. I'm just going to do something for me right now. And like a lot of teenagers do that, you know what I mean? And they still mm-hmm. recover and they still go off and do other things and get good careers and that sort of stuff. So that finale always just felt to me like, all right, she is going to do something for herself rather than kind of what's expected of her, which is sort of like that really does for me pay off her, her, like the, again, the way that the series begins with her um, not knowing who she is and kind of changing groups and, and that kind of stuff. I feel like what? I should specify, I do think it's very accurate to the character, and I think it makes sense for the show, and I think it's very truthful to what somebody would do. I just don't like leaving the show on that note of disappointment in the main character. That, like, you know, it's one of those things where you invest in a character and you want, every, you want their life to be okay, and you want them to be safe and to be happy. And, and so while I do, it makes sense, and it's absolutely fits in with the truth of, of what the kind of decisions the character would make i just i it's it's not fun for me to end the show on that sense of disappointment well i mean i i agree that it's not like i think if they knew that it was a series capper i don't think they would have ended it that way oh, oh no, but, no i disagree they, they did no they did know that it was oh um, did they that- Wow. Well, sort of. They kind of did. What happened was, like, I mean, I'm pre- yeah, actually, it says it here. If you look at the production order, it was the 14th episode produced, or 13th after the pilot. Um, and, like, the history of the show is really weird, where basically, like, they were they were on, and then they kept getting kind of delayed and moved around. And then it came to a point, I think, around, like, episode 10 or 11, where they were literally being greenlit one episode at a time, which is like unheard of in the entire history of TV, where like a show is just like literally like one one episode after another, NBC was like, yeah, we'll take one more episode, one more episode, one more episode. And so what they did was they made this like finale and they filmed it like early enough where they were like, if the show does get canceled, this will be our ending. Um, which is pretty smart because the other option is to have what 
uh, my so-called life had, which is like a giant cliffhanger, <laughs> and one that no no spoilers. I'm not there yet. Oh my god, <laughs> I'm angry to this day about the ending of that series. But anyway, so like this one, yeah, it kind of ends a little bit open ended. But there, I I don't know. I still feel like you can imagine what you know would happen after the summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and I'm with Corey here. I really don't think that what she's doing is all that big a deal. Like, I I mean, yeah, it's, it's you know, she did lie. But, you know, in, in, the, in the previous episode, we already see her sort of toying with rebellion. So, uh, I mean, we all agree that it makes sense for the character. So I guess that's not controversial. But Yeah, and uh, I know that I, you know, for lack of a better word, am air quotes wrong that almost all everybody I talk to who likes Freaks and Geeks thinks it's a perfect ending and loves loves that choice for, for the character and thinks it makes a lot of sense. So... I you know I know that I'm in the minority. So you, you you get to be me for once. <laughs> yes. Um, I find it a little bit sad. I think what makes me sad about Freaks and Geeks, and I haven't watched Undeclared yet, it's that I is that I kind of feel like TV is Judd Apatow's ideal medium. Like, you know, some of the movies he produces. Or sorry, I mean he's produced some really good films, but out of the stuff he's directed, I mean, there's nothing really, especially cinematic about what he does. I feel like sort of his sense of humor, his his sensibility is is more suited to sort of serialized TV where he can, you know, where he can have these characters that you, you know, grow with over a long period of time. I don't know. Am I in the minority here? Um, No, I don't think so. And although I always felt like Freaks and Geeks was more um, Paul Feig's show than Judd Apatow. Mm-hmm. Um, although I think both sensibilities really come through. Um, and I think Judd Apatow directed, what, let me see here, how he directed. I think he directed three episodes and one of them was dead dogs and gym teachers, which has some of the best directed stuff. Like the opening of, uh, of that episode has, uh, it's like a wordless thing of Bill sort of just oh. enjoying some time watching, uh, uh, what is it? Steve Gary Shandling. Gary Shandling, yeah, he's yes. like watching Gary Shandling stand up and like laughing hysterically, um, set to a, a Who song, and it's just like that kind of stuff. It's not—I don't know that it's cinematic, but it's certainly a step above even a lot of the direction in the rest of the series. So I don't know. I think that it kind of makes sense that Apatow went on to do movies, but yeah, I mean, even watching like uh, Funny People, which. I might be one of the few people who really loves that movie. Um, yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. Um, but even that, like, that might have worked a lot better as a TV series. Well, and I, I th- it it has that problem of being, like, two and a half hours long and kind of wandering. But I just I love the way that it wanders. So, you know, well, if it had maybe, like, three episodes or four episodes, it would have been great. Well, and, and Bridesmaids has the exact same problem, and that's directed by Paul Feig. Yeah, like, but... No, no, no. And that's even less cinematic than Funny People. It is, yeah, that's true. That's so it's true. it's really too bad that they had this horrible experience. For for me, I, I just I feel like as much as I do enjoy their various other works, I don't see either of them ever being able to top this show. I don't uh... know. What do, you, what do you guys think? Do you think this is the the best of their work that you have seen? Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I can't think of 
yeah, I can't think of anything that's that's been better. I mean, like they've each worked on other things that are no, I wouldn't even say that those are better. Maybe Arrested Development. Like Paul Feig worked a bit on Arrested Development, but yeah, I mean, Freaks and Geeks is sort of it. Freaks and Geeks is this weird thing that again, it's so um, uh, like I said, it speaks to me personally, but I think that also just the kind of show that it is has not even been seen again. Like even undeclared as good as that was, that basically it took a similar, similar subject matter, but made it into a, a 22 minute comedy. Um, so I don't know. It, yeah, it's, it's in this like rarefied air, similar to Arrested Development where there's sort of nothing else like it on TV. Seven. Um, I think they, I think Apatow has been involved in, in, in a lot of good stuff and some, you know, obviously not so great stuff, some very overrated stuff. Um, but I, I think he's been involved in some other work that sort of equals it. I kind of feel like the, there's this sense of arrested development, um, <laughs> with, 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 with his sensibility in, in the sense that I, I kind of feel like, you know, a serialized show about high school is sort of the ideal setting for the sort of apath for the Apatow comic aesthetic, you know, sort of, you know, especially, you know, the, this humor of masculinity, which obviously is not the only thing going on in, in freaks and geeks, but you know, it, it, and, and the fact that this has been exported to film means that we, we now have this explosion of movies that are about, you know, male bonding and that's gotten really old, I think. Um, so I don't know. This show has had such a strange effect on popular culture, even though no one watched it. It's it's a very strange case. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I think like if you probably look at ratings, the show was probably way more watched than anything on TV now. Like it averaged six point, I think seven seven million viewers. Oh, that's it. Okay, never mind then. I, that's that's no, that's really low. Even for even for like two thousand, that's that's very low. Okay, scratch everything I said. Well, but compared <laughs> to now, though, that's not. Well, yeah, sort of. But I was thinking more like yeah, because Community gets um, what like two million or not even a week. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of the Community would be the uh, the freaks and geeks of the time. But yeah, because I mean, even The Walking Dead gets like six million, and that's on basic cable so mm -hmm. i don't know <laughs> there, there are two we, ha we should start wrapping up but there are two more points that i'd like to touch on first of all uh i feel like we should talk about the music because it, there's a lot of really great music in this series and that's why it took so long for it to come out on dvd actually because there's so many rights issues yeah and then the other thing i i, I want to spend a little bit of time on is that we've talked about how great this cast is but for me even the more than the fact that they're all very good at their roles is the fact that for the most part they look the right age um the the eldest one of the cast was 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 uh, linda cardellini who was 24 but but john francis daly for example it makes me feel so unaccomplished in my life because we're the same age um but he was 14 at the time that they were filming this and it, it's just so nice to see a show where the high school students look like high school students Unlike yeah, you know, suburgatory. And 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 Cardellini is is old, but she doesn't look. I mean, she she looks like plausibly like a high schooler. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like and, she she looks like a sixteen year old or seventeen yeah. year old. So, yeah. 20 and it's also nice that you you have a couple you have people like Seth Rogen who don't look 
you know, they don't look age appropriate, but are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is, you know, also what high school is like. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, because what Jason Siegel was the youngest of the freaks. He was 17, I think, or maybe 18. And it he looked absolutely natural next to Cardellini, who was 24, as a believable high school couple. So. Yeah, it's just it's so nice to to actually see people who looked like what my high school looked like overall. Yeah, definitely, and yeah, and like you said, the music in the show is pretty amazing. Um, yeah, and it, it doesn't surprise me that that it took them so long to get it out on DVD because all I kept thinking was, "Damn, this must have cost them a pretty penny." Yeah. Well, it, apparently, a lot of their budget went into clearing the music rights. Yeah, I mean, there was the. Um, uh, yeah, because it took like years for it. There was like campaigns to get it on DVD, and the producers were just like, "We're not going to release it unless we can get every single song, because they're all so crucial." And I think uh, was it Shout Factory did the DVD, and they mm-hmm. they put a lot of work into getting those rights cleared. Because there's like, um, I know that I, I'm forgetting what the other episode is that has like wall to wall one band, but like Dead Dogs and Gym Teachers is all the Who, and. It, it's crucial that every song in that is the who it's like it's actually part of the plot and it it would just be weird if it wasn't the case yeah and so, and, and, and and the finale is themed around the grateful dead obviously uh yes yeah yeah or even it, just yeah. you know bad reputation as the theme song which is so perfect right yeah no though like those song choices definitely um it, and it like it reflects the the time because like the the show is set in 1980, which means that it's still technically in the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you get all those 70s songs, but you do get like uh, even within the series, like it's almost like a sense of nostalgia. Like here's something that's somewhat coming to an end. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the early episodes, uh, John Bonham dies. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, you get that you get that sense of like time moving on and like these kids are just kind of uh going through that and then going through their own little things in life. So yeah, definitely the music is a big part of what makes the show. Now, are there any final thoughts for either of you guys? Corey? Uh everybody should watch it. <laughs> uh Simon? Uh I I, I enjoyed it. I th- I think it's its status is I think its its legend is slightly inflated, but uh, but I I did I did enjoy it, or I I enjoyed it as as much I enjoyed it more than I was expecting to, and probably as much as I will ever enjoy a, a, a strict a, you know, a a straight up show set in high school about high schoolers. Fair enough, um, Corey. Where can our listeners find you online? Um, well, I write uh, Homeland reviews for Sound On Site. Of and course. Then, yes. Oh, and that show's coming to an end soon, or the season. Um, and then I have a blog, uh, justatad.wordpress.com, and you can find me on Twitter at Coryatad. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. And, of course, for, for writing your reviews for Homeland, it's always fun to, to read those every week, especially because any of our listeners know that we love Homeland, usually. Um, so so it's a lot of fun to have those up at the site, too. Yeah, I, I love doing it. Awesome. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening, and have a great week. We'll talk to you next week.
from them. I don't want to, you know, uh, presto, you know. Presto change Yeah, I'm going with a la peanut butter sandwich or whatever. What? It's a, no, sorry. None of us know. American reference. Okay, anyways. Uh, I don't want the presto change fix to it, but. Why didn't you guys cut that stuff out? <laughs> <laughs> I just like that. When you get to Canada, your American references no longer – not only do they not work in that no, nobody else knows what you're talking about, you can't, suddenly can't even remember it. I'll have peanut butter sandwiches. It's a, it's a thing. It's like Sesame Street or something. I don't know. Sorry. This is what I get for going to Canada. <laughs> Canada. Um, anyways, uh, 